tells the sun to rise every morning, colors the sky with shades of his glory, wakes us with mercy and love, Jesus does. Who holds the orphan and comforts the widow, cries for injustice and feels every sorrow, carries the pain of his children, Jesus does. So we sing praise to the Father who gave us the Son. Praise to the Spirit who's living in us. When I was a sinner, He saved me from who I was. Cause that's what Jesus grace over all our mistakes washes us clean with his blood Jesus does I believe that he does who sings the song of sweet forgiveness who stole the keys to hell and the grave who has the power to save Jesus We're so glad that you could join us on this Memorial Day weekend, and it's an honor to welcome you here today. If you're visiting with us, uh, we're so honored to have you here today, and I encourage you before you rush out, please stop by our guest table 
And there you can uh, pick up a guest bag. And we'd also love to have a record of your visit. If you've, and if you've been visiting for a while, we mentioned this uh, for several weeks, if you may be interested in joining East Taylorsville Baptist Church, we're looking to do a Class 101, a new members class. Again, you don't have to join if you take the class, but if you're interested in joining, you do have to take the class. And we're looking at possibly doing a lunch uh, after a morning service. It'd be a quick class, have lunch, go through a lot of the stuff that we believe as a church, and uh, go through the membership uh, information. So if you're interested in doing that, you can fill out the care card, fill it out on the QR code uh, with that form. Uh, but we would love to know if you're interested in doing that. But uh, what a great way to start the service. I just want to read the bridge one more time. It says, oh, what a friend. Oh, what a savior. He's always been good. He's always been faithful. He came to my rescue when I needed him most and saved my soul. And it's just a reminder as I heard the words of that song, you know, we're here today not because we just go by a list of rules and laws. We are here because we have a relationship with the living God. And we have an opportunity to worship him and praise him and know that he hears us and know that he wants to speak to us and meet with us today. But I'm going to ask you to stand as we begin our service. Take just a minute to welcome your neighbor to the service and prepare your hearts for worship.
and thank you. As you know, this is a time in our service that we set aside to pray as a church family. And here in just a moment, we'll invite you to come down to pray if you'd like to come forward. Uh, but if, even if you don't come forward, we have several names that we need to mention to you. All these uh, people are at Baptist Hospital. Ray Bruder, remember Ray in prayer. Gene Smith, he's in the cancer uh, section of Baptist Hospital. Tony Elliott just had open heart surgery. Uh, Mark Gant, who owns Crossroads Grills at Baptist, and uh, they've mentioned for us to mention him in prayer as well. And Cecilia Douglas's niece is there at Baptist and would encourage you to pray for all these folks and their family members. Also, this is Memorial Day weekend. You have freedoms today because someone died in your place. Is that not a blessing? What a blessing. We should never forget that. And at this time, I'd also like for us to, I know it's not Veterans Day, but let's remember right now the men and women who are serving across the, the world today so that we could be free. And let's also remember their families and prayers. What a tremendous sacrifice that they're making. And uh, so as the choir leads us in this time of praise, if you'll meet me here at the altar and let's pray together this morning. Thank you. bowed and your eyes closed. The names I mentioned, I mentioned about five names. Would you lift one of them up to the Lord right now and pray for their healing? Pray for the medical staff at Baptist. So thankful for that hospital. Pray for their families that travel and spend long hours in a hospital room. Many not knowing the outcome. And they need your prayers. Would you also lift up our military, the men and women that are serving? Pray for their safety. Pray for victory. Pray for their salvation. Some of those folks are the closest to eternity. Pray for their families back home. Can't imagine the sacrifices that they have to make. And then thank the Lord that you live in America. Thank the Lord that you can come to church. Thank the Lord that you can worship freely without fear. What a blessing and what a privilege it is. Father, we thank you, Lord, so many times we can take the freedoms we have in America for granted. Lord, with all the problems we have, it's still the greatest nation on earth. So, Father, I pray for our government leadership nationally, state level, locally. Lord, thank you for men and women that serve. Thank you that we can agree and disagree. Lord, still, America is the most blessed nation on the face of the earth. And Lord, we want to thank you, Lord, for the men and women now who are serving. Lord, encourage, help. Lord, protect. 
And Lord, be with their families. And Father, we want to thank you, Lord, that you paid the ultimate price for us. You shed your blood that we might be free. The greatest freedom anyone could ever experience is freedom in Christ. So Father, we thank you and praise you for that, Father. And we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you.
and speak not. Yet you tell us everything. Without words, without voice, we know all we need to know. You knew this might be the place you'd come to rest. You served and gave all for a family that would never forget, and a country that sometimes might. But we do not forget. We see the crosses and know there are empty places and tears of loved ones behind each. We honor the lasting sacrifice that spans past and future. We enjoy a freedom that came at a costly price that you paid. We remember, and we will tell the ones that follow what you told us. I was uh, watching a Sean Ryan podcast. He's a former Navy SEAL who uh, I first uh, heard about Sean about three or four years ago. He's doing gun reviews. I'm a big gun guy. Uh, if that offends you, that's your problem. I don't care. But anyway, um, he also has a podcast. It's one of the top podcasts in America. He recently gave his life to Jesus. Okay, so very thankful for that. But he said one of the ways to honor the memory of those who gave their life for you, and that's the way he put it, is, is as an American, is every night before you go to bed to look in the mirror and ask yourself this question, have I been a person worth dying for? Now think about that for a minute. Very profound statement from a, a military veteran. Am I a person who is living their life in such a way that I would be worthy of someone else's death? Think about that for a moment. And as you think about that, stand with me and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We've been going through 1 Peter for about, I don't know, five weeks, no, about five, five months maybe? I can't remember. A long time. We're going to be going through it until probably 2026. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, there, there's something about, I'll just say this. I'm a preacher, right? I love to listen to preaching. Okay, There's a fine line between preaching and giving a speech. If you don't, if you don't exposit scripture, and I tell young preachers this all the time, you're going to get into the habit of just giving a speech. You're not a, we're not giving TED Talks here. okay? We're not motivational speakers. I'm not your life coach. God has called me to preach this word. And if you can't get to the point that you can exposit Scripture, your church will never grow. okay? And that's what our Sunday school is about. That's what all our staff's about. Student ministry is about. It's about expositing God's word. And today we're just going to look at maybe one verse. Verse 9, look. Now, think about this for a moment as well. The title of the message is My Identity. Think about this. Have you ever asked yourself, who am I? Or, or, or what about this? What do people think of me? Okay? Because if I went around the room and just mentioned your name, different people, depending on their, their I guess, proximity to your life, would have a different opinion. Right? And some, for some people, that really just upsets them. I hope nobody thinks a certain way about me. But all that really matters, and I say this humbly, is what God thinks about you. Who does God say you are? Peter is writing a letter, okay, to, to people that are scattered over 750,000 square miles. It's in verse 1 and 2. 
Asia Minor, Turkey. Okay? These people are being talked about, shunned by family. God has saved people. To, to the Roman Empire, they're an outcast group. Persecution is going to start after they read this letter. And Peter wants you to understand in one verse who you are. Notice what he says. This is very powerful. He says in verse 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Think about that for a minute. You, regardless of what anybody else thinks of you, I want you to hear this. To God, you are a chosen generation. Now look at this. A royal priesthood. You ever felt like royalty? I had one time in my life, and I'm going to share that with you. A holy nation, his own special people. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that when the devil comes to accuse, you know who we are. Father, thank you for using a former fisherman saving his life and inspiring him to write this tremendous letter. Father, thank you for allowing us to know who we are in Christ. Father, we should be encouraged. We should be thankful. We should have peace. We should have joy because of who our Father says we are. No other opinion matters. But Father, this is who you say we are. So Father, help us to live like these people as best we can. And we'll thank you and praise you for it. And Father, we love you. And we give you honor and glory as the Bible says we should. And in Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people say together, amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. Peter says this, four things about us. Number one, you're a chosen generation. Notice on the screen. Notice, but you are, look at the word chosen. That's, that's the word it means to elect. It means to be picked. The Bible is called the church. We're, this is called the church. We're a church. That means people who have been called out. Okay? That same word chosen that God uses about you right now, if you're born again, is the same word he used in the Old Testament about the Jewish people. He basically says this over and over about the Jews in the Old Testament. Isaiah, God's speaking through Isaiah, God says this, The people whom I am formed for myself will declare my praise, talking about the Jews. David writes in Psalms 33, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. Talking about Israel. God said to Moses, Tell the nation of Israel that I didn't choose them because they were more popular, more in number, I chose them because I chose them, okay? And I'm going to use them. I set my love on Israel, okay? And that, that's, what, that's the same word he's using about you here, okay? You're chosen. As God distinguished the people of Israel from old and from all other nations, so he distinguishes true Christians. Paul, writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy, says this, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. And then he talks about this word chosen. He said, who has saved us and called us 
with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Peter here reviews, viewed the church as a redeemed community of God, chosen just as Israel was chosen. And I bet Peter thought about his own salvation. Peter was a fisherman. He was not studying under a rabbi at the time, which means he had been rejected. And then Jesus comes to Peter, and the Bible says this, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, this is what Jesus says, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. So the word chosen, it means God chooses us, but we also, by an act of our will, have to choose him. You're not a zombie, but you're not your own savior either. So why did God call Peter? Why then? Why? Look at your own life. You chose, you said yes to Jesus after you were under extreme conviction. Okay? I was under extreme conviction. I was under so much conviction, I couldn't, I couldn't explain it to you as a lost person. I couldn't explain it to you. I would sit here preaching, get under conviction. Okay? I, I just couldn't understand that as a lost person. God didn't make me say yes to him, but I was so overwhelmed, drawn, and compelled that I said yes to Jesus. That's what Peter did. Jesus said, follow me. See, the Holy Spirit will speak to some of you today that are lost. And it's him doing it. Okay? And you'll have a choice to make now and for the rest of your life whether to say yes to Jesus or not. I would encourage you and persuade you to say yes to him. All right? But if you do say yes to him, then you're a chosen generation. What a beautiful word in the Bible. Look at the word generation. Okay? That means... It could be another word, some, some call it almost like a chosen race. Generation is from a word that refers to people who belong to a common ancestor and they share a common origin. They have the same father, all right? That means that God is your father and God is my father. Peter is informing us then that the gospel has created a new race, one race, made up of people from every tongue, tribe, social and economic standing and cultural variety, God has chosen the unalike and made them into a new family. Paul, writing to the church at Galatia, says this, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Then he makes this astounding statement that was just shocking to Gentiles and Jews. He says, Now, if you're in Jesus, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. See, your relationship to Christ should be more important than your skin color. You're a chosen race, a chosen generation, a chosen race, which means this, regardless of your skin color, your education, your socioeconomic status, if God is your father and God is my father, that makes us what? Isn't that amazing? So if you're from England, and God is your father and God is my father, what does that make us? Brothers and sisters. Isn't that amazing? God says this in Revelation 7, 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one can number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, tongues, all of them, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, 
with palm branches in their hands and crying with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So what did John, what did God allow John to see? A chosen generation standing before him of all tribes, nations, and tongues. See, racism is so foreign to the Bible. That's why a Christian above all people should never be a racist. See, I'm not concerned about worshiping with people who look like me on the outside, but people who look like me on the inside. Okay, so regardless of what the world says, you are a chosen generation. Number two is this, you're also a royal priesthood. Now, when Peter writes that, the Jewish people would really have had a problem because in the Old Testament, you had kings and you had priests. You never combined the two. And when Jesus came along, and confessed that he had a kingdom, and that also he was fulfilling the role of the high priest, the Jews said, we'll just go ahead and kill you. Because they said, that can't happen. See, the Old Testament jealously separated kings from priests. You didn't combine the two. But what God says to you, church, is you're a king and you're a priest. Isn't that amazing? Do you feel like it? Do you ever feel royalty? I mean, do you ever feel like you're, you're a royal person? I remember when I was going to Hidnot in the first grade. Anybody here go to Hidnot? Anybody a phantom, right? Okay, y'all, Sugarloaf's a little smarter. You're right there. We're right there. But anyway, first grade. Now listen, Miss Long was my teacher. Anybody have Miss Long? Yes, awesome teacher. Miss Long was so patient with me. I mean, do you remember the book that would say, See Cat Run? I just couldn't read. I didn't. I couldn't get it. See cat run, see cat jump. Everybody be reading it. Read it, Jamie. I just it just didn't it just didn't work, right? I just couldn't do it. Had to go to speech class. Miss Long was so kind and patient. Such a good woman. But I remember now that's can be detrimental to the child. Okay, when you're the slowest of the slow. But they had a harvest festival, okay? And what they did was they did 6th through 8th grade, because it went up to 8th grade back then. They were called kings and queens. They had 3rd through 5th grade, which were called prince and princesses. And then they had 1st through 2nd, and you were duke and duchess, right? And the way you won was somebody paid money, and if you raised enough money for the school, you won, okay? I, your boy got nominated for a duke, right? And I remember walking my mama down there and we looked at the scoreboard and I said mom how's it look she said looking bad son this is like 30 minutes before this thing was over okay and I said you want to go home now they had these crowns I'm going to tell you about the crowns in just a minute true story I wish I could have found the picture because I, I, I had mine when they took my picture for the paper but anyway I was running way behind okay and I remember Miss Long <laughs> Miss Long standing there just smiling. And around 10 o'clock, when he announced the winners, I was the Duke of the school. Now, I don't know who paid that money, but I bet it was Miss Long. Now, listen, that crown was cardboard with red glitter. And I wore that crown around my house all weekend. True story. They said, Monday, we're going to take your picture for the paper. Guess who was the only one who wore their crown to school? I did. 
I wore that crown to school. I wore it to get my picture made. I think they made me take it off to get my picture made. When I flashed my free lunch card, I wanted to do the crown because your boy was a duke, right? Hey, I want to tell you something. You got royal blood flowing through your veins. Is that not amazing? That should make you stop and think. You know, I may not be much in my community, at work, at all these other places, but God says you're a royal priesthood. To me, that's just amazing to think about. doesn't matter where you come from or what your past is. you got royal blood flowing through your veins, and you belong to a kingdom. You have a strong inheritance if you, ha- if you have Jesus. You may not have much down here, but you got a lot coming. Isn't that a blessing? I, I think my inheritance is going to look something like that on this earth. But boy, do we not have a lot over there. And then he says this, you're a royal, look, priesthood. See, in the Old Testament, you had to be from the tribe of Levi. Now, look at this picture on the screen. This is the uh, picture of Herod's temple. If I can show you. Oh, it's not going to show, I don't think. Maybe if I cut it on. Maybe. Yeah, right here, Gentiles. That's us. You can't go any further than that. None of us. Any Jewish person can go here. Women, that's as far as you can go. Women and men can be here. About 6,000 people could fit right here. Only one person could go in here one time a year. The high priest. He went in there in the Holy of Holies. Look. The Holy of Holies. One time a year on the Day of Atonement to help people's sins be forgiven. It had to be done every year. Now listen. This was one of the most sacred positions in all of Israel. See that veil right there? When Jesus died on the cross, it split in two. Which means you today can be a priest. You. You don't ask another man for forgiveness of sins. You don't call any other person father. You know, you got one father, aren't you thankful? And the Bible says because of the blood of Jesus that we can come boldly. Look, you at any time, anywhere can come boldly to that place right there in the middle. You can, maybe, if I can get this thing to work. Right here, you can come right here, spiritually speaking, anytime, any place, anywhere, on behalf of anybody. You're a royal priesthood. I'm no better than you. I just have a different calling. Billy Graham, when he was alive, was no better than you and gets no special... uh, things because of who he is listen you're a royal priesthood he's telling these people that are scattered you're a royal priesthood and because of that listen to what what uh the writer of hebrews says he says and so dear brothers and sisters we can now boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of jesus he's talking about that place by his death jesus opened up a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place and since we have a great high priest who rules over god's house let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him, for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. You know what Jesus would tell you today, Christian? Come. Come. You say, but you don't know what I did. Don't matter. Come. You said, if you knew the guilt that I have even after being saved, the Bible says that everything is naked and open to the one whom we must give an account. Okay, He knows all about you. 
and he still loves you anyway. Isn't that amazing? You know, I've shared this with you before, and Scotty's heard me say it a hundred times, but I tell prisoners all the time. Listen, God knows you. He knows you. He knows all he, he knows he knows everything you've done, not done, and he knows all your secrets. David said this, who can forgive my secret sins? We all got them. We all got them. And you know what God says? Come, priest. Come bow before the king and pray and intercede because I have sprinkled your guilty conscience with the blood of Jesus. See, only Satan keeps you out of there. Okay? Your sin don't. Your life don't. Your past don't. Your present don't. Nothing does. Only Satan will try to keep you out of there. You're a holy priesthood. The second, the third thing is this. You're a holy nation. Look at the word holy there. That just describes something that's been set apart. See, in the Old Testament, certain things were considered holy. It didn't mean that they were morally upright with this word, okay? Like uh, the tribe of Levi was set apart for being a priest. The tabernacle was set apart for a place of worship. Eventually, it became the temple. Inside the tabernacle, there were pots and pans. Were they morally pure? They were just pots and pans. But they were set apart for a purpose, okay? They, uh, when, when the Jewish people would have a crop, they would pray for rain and say, God, the only way we're going to have a crop is if you bless this crop's crop and it grows. Then we can harvest it. When they harvest it, God said, well, guess what? P part of that crop is holy unto the Lord. The first fruits you have, you're going to bring to my house. The first fruits. But let's see if you really love me or not, okay? See, when I get paid each week, there's a part of my payment from, from this church that's holy. Nobody gets it. This church gets it. That's the conviction that God has given me, okay? God says once you're saved, you're that same way. You're set apart. You're set apart. You're holy. You're set apart. You have a different purpose. And then he says you're a holy nation, which just basically means this. It means this. Holy nation, it means you're separated, you're, you're different, you're in. Now, he's writing to people scattered throughout Asia Minor. You can see all the cities there in, in verse number 1 and 2. But he says, you're in these places, but you're, you're your own nation. You're holy, you're set apart for a different purpose. You have a different set of laws, personally, and morals, personally, and customs, personally, that are different from the world. You want to know how different they were? I'm glad you asked, I'm going to tell you. Think about babies. Now listen, historians tell us this, that many of the early believers reading this letter from Peter would have had to have disobeyed one of the 12 tables of Roman law and decreed, and I quote, this is one of the 12 tables, deformed infants shall be killed. In other words, in order to keep the Roman bloodline as superior as possible, deformed infants were given a chance to live, weren't given a chance to live. Even Seneca, the brilliant tutor of several Caesars who lived during the time of the apostles, defended infanticide by writing, We drown children who at birth are weak and abnormal. Then along came this holy nation. And you know what they said? We'll take them. They would set, they'd set little girls, listen to me girls, out in the city square, and then the mean people would get you and you'd be a prostitute the rest of your life. A lot of the boys, they would take them. If they weren't pure Roman bloodline, or there was some abnormality about them, place them in the same place or throw them off the cliff on the rocks. The Christians, because they were a holy nation, said, we'll take them. Guess who started orphanages? Christians. 
See, that was changing in Rome. It was such a depraved place for children. And the Christians came along and they said, we got different customs. We don't, we don't kill ours. We raise them. God's got a purpose for them, right? Aren't you thankful? Think about marriage. A second century document describes how the early Christians differed from the pagan Romans by confining their sexual behavior to the married life. This is what one Roman historian said. They, talking about the Christians, marry as do all. They beget children. They have a common table, but they don't have a common bed. Changed everything. Listen, Galen, a Greek physician of the second century, was impressed by the upright sexual behavior of Christians. He said they were so far advanced in self-discipline and intense desire to attain moral excellence that they are in no way inferior to true philosophers. So powerful was the Christian doctrine and practice of marriage that Edward Gibbon says the dignity of marriage was restored by the Christians. Everywhere Christianity began and flourished, the whole society changed for the better. All throughout history. That's an indisputable fact. Children, if you go to college, young people, and you have a professor that says Christianity was bad for this culture, they're lying. They're really uh, uneducated and not real well informed because everywhere in history that Christianity has begun, because they were a holy nation, everything got better for the people. Everything got better. Think about children. Listen to me. The acceptance of pedophilia among the Roman populace is not just evident in the literature. You can read it. I'll tell you not to. You can read it. Literature of its poets and philosophers it is also illustrated on archaeological artifacts, which you can see online. I wouldn't look at it for you. Now listen. Today's outlawing of pedophilia, that is an adult who is intimate with someone who's a juvenile, is the result of Christianity's influence. Had Christianity not entered the pagan culture of the Greeks and Romans, where pedophilia was common, widespread, and accepted, it is doubtful that there would be any laws against child molestation. Thank God for a holy nation. Amen. What about the sick? During the Alexandrian plague in about AD 250, one historian says this. He said, The Romans thrust aside anyone who began to be sick and kept aloof even from their dearest friends, and cast the sufferers out upon the public roads half dead, left them unburied, and treated them with utter contempt when they died. Then he says, how different from the behavior of the Christians. He said, Christians, when it came to caring for the sick and dying, ignored dangers to themselves. And this is an exact quote. Very many of our brethren, while in their exceeding love and brotherly kindness, did not spare themselves, but kept by each other and visited the sick, without thought of their own peril, and ministered to them assiduously and treated them for their healing in Christ, died from time to time most joyfully, drawing upon themselves their neighbors' diseases and willingly taking over to their own persons the burden of the sufferings of those around them. It changed the Roman Empire. When the plagues hit, the, everybody left. The Christians said, we're staying to care for them. Guess who started hospitals? Guess who started schools? The Christians did all those things. And church, I would tell you, today, by your right, you're a holy nation. And then finally, the last thing is this. You are his own special people or his own special possession. This is a word used in the Old Testament about the nation of Israel as well. In Exodus, God says, Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession 
Look at the word, think about the word possession. Among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. Now, Paul kind of quotes something similar to the church at Ephesus. Notice what he says in Ephesians 1 and 14. He says, The Spirit is God's guarantee that He will give us the inheritance He promised, and that He purchased, He has purchased, look at the word purchased, us to be His own people and His own possession. You've been purchased, the Bible says. Now, R.C. Sproul said this, Purchasing power is the number of goods or services that can be purchased with a unit of currency. Now, does that change when you go to other countries? It does, doesn't it? Uh, who's been to the Philippines? Besides me, Doc, and Dixie, okay? Now, Rince, we went in 2005. Glad to see my brother Rince. The last day of our mission trip, we go to the compound in Manila, the mission team's going to eat Pizza Hut. Rents and I are not going to do that, okay? We said, we're going to the mall. Did we know where the mall was? Nope. Rents had on red shoes. I said, let's take one of those little things. You get in like a, it's like a moped with a cart. Me and Rents hopping in there, take us to the train station. Go to the train station, we get on the train. Did we know where the mall was? Nah, we'll figure it out. It's not really smart, but we said, we'll figure it out. Now get this, we're, we're in this box car, right? And we're just sitting there, I'm like, how are we going to get to this train station? You know, just kind of grinning. And about that time, some guy looks at Rents and says, nice shoes. And I said, praise the Lord. <laughs> he told us where the mall was. So we go to the mall, beautiful mall, was it not? And then we ate at a place, I don't know if you remember this or not, Rent. It was called Gilligan's Island. Was it not good? He said, what do you want? I said, let me pay for this, okay? Two T-bone steaks. I think we had baked potatoes, chicken wings two Oreo cheesecakes, and about six Cokes. And I kept my receipt. I can't find it right now. You know how much our bill was? Twelve American dollars. Praise the Lord. We were buying Burberry shirts and everything. We were not rents. I come back with all kinds of stuff. I felt like I was rich. I was rich, okay? Because currency changes depending on where you are, all right? He goes on to say this. R.C. Sproul says this. He says, but unlike money, the blood of Christ has purchasing power that is not affected by inflation or erratic swings of the stock market or a place on the planet. This power does not fluctuate depending on where you are in the world. When we purchase something, we expect to take possession of it. We own it. No longer does it belong to the seller. Even when we buy things with credit, like houses and cars, even though we don't really own them, and we're making payments on them, we treat them as if they're ours. We think, these are my possessions because I bought them. The Bible says that Christ has paid the price for us. He bought us. He owns us. His purchase of his people was not on credit, but was paid in full, and you all cost the same. Every one of you. Paul telling the church at Ephesus, he says this. Before he left, he says, Therefore, I want you to understand this. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, he says. Don't make sense, does it? The Holy Spirit lives within you. You're not your own. Then he says this, For you were bought at a price. Verify, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So you don't have a right to treat your body just any old way. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit because you've been purchased. Jesus came 
to set you free. The price you were bought with was the blood of Jesus. R.C. Sproul goes on to say this, Our Lord's blood has purchasing power not only to obtain us, but to also cleanse us, wash us, sanctify us, and make us righteous and holy. We must remember that heaven does not deal in dollars, pounds, euros, or even gold or silver. Silver, The only currency that is of value in heaven and throughout eternity is the blood of Christ. It's the only currency that is going to get you in. There's a popular credit card company, I don't know if it's still popular now, that likes to ask this in commercials, what's in your wallet? Wouldn't it be interesting if we, when we get to heaven, someone is standing at the gate asking the question, what's in your wallet? At that point, dollars won't do. Euros won't count. Silver and gold will be of no service. You better have Jesus. You better have his blood. What's in my wallet? The blood of Jesus. He has purchased me, and I am his, and he is mine forever. Christian, rejoice. The world may disown you. Parents may. Children may. Your spouse may. But to God, you're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. And you're his own special possession, and you're never alone. Never. So much so, you his possession. Notice what the end of the Bible says in Revelation 22, 3 and 5. Notice, no longer will there be any curse upon anything, for the throne of God and the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. Think about that. That word see means it's going to actually happen. It, uh, the Greek word used there means that it's a day that's coming. Visually and spiritually, you'll see his face. His name will be written on their foreheads. Why? Because you're, you're his. You're his. You're his own special people. You're his own purchased possession. There will be no night there, no need for lamps nor sun. For the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign, how long? Forever and forever, which means this. No matter how painful life is for you now, it's not forever. No matter how difficult your disability is now, it's not forever. No matter how fresh your sorrow is now, it's not forever. No matter how great your struggle is now, it's not forever. I get to say those words at funerals all the time. Good people. People we grew up with. People you see go through such hurt and heartache and still serve the Lord. And I can say joyfully that their suffering is not forever. Aren't you thankful? I want you to stand with me, every head bowed and every eye closed. Just for a moment. And I can joyfully say to you today that the only scars in heaven will be his. And I ask you this question today. Are you prepared to exit this life and to stand before God? And my message to you today, if you don't know him, are the words of Jesus that John wrote. Just a few verses later, he says this. Jesus speaking. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who drinks, desires to drink freely from the water of life, let him come. Church, I would encourage you today to come to Christ, come to eternal life, come to the family of God. As Sharon leads us in this song, you respond as the Lord leads you this morning.
today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I would encourage you to do that even now. You don't know how to pray out loud. Say, Lord, today I give my life to you. I believe in you. I trust in you. And today I give my life to you. If you're a Christian, God knows all about you and loves you. Don't let Satan take your joy. Commit your life afresh and new to the one who calls you a royal generation, a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, a holy nation, his own special people. Father, we thank you, Lord, for who we are, for who we are in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that the sufferings and the heartaches down here do not last forever, but our joy in heaven and eternal life lasts forever. Father, thank you. Help us, Lord, to be a holy nation. Help us to love our brothers and sisters. Help us to serve uh, this community and to serve our family and friends in our neighborhoods. And Father, we'll thank you and praise you for what you alone can do for us. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people say together, amen. Thank you. I hope you have a great Sunday and hope to see you back here Wednesday night.